You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 380, Kingdom Leadership Part 2. We started this short two-part series last week talking about the the differences and then also what makes up kingdom leadership. What's the difference between kingdom leadership and secular leadership? I mean, let's be fair. I have worked for some great men and women over the years who were not Christians and who would not say that they were a kingdom leader. In fact, they wouldn't even know what you were talking about if you asked them that question. And yet, because of the way they were raised, because of other leaders they had worked for, or possibly just instinctively, they they adopted some of these kingdom principles and used them in their leadership. But at its root, kingdom leadership and secular leadership are very, very different. So just a quick recap. Last week, we touched on the two requirements and started talking about the four characteristics of a kingdom leader. And the two requirements, first and foremost, a kingdom leader is someone who loves God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now this is much, obviously you can, you can tell this is much more involved than just the flippant, oh yeah, I love God. To love God involves our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. You can see that involves every part of us. This is a passionate uh, relationship with God that each follower of Jesus should have, and this should carry over into our leadership. We can't say, well, yeah, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but what does that have to do with me as a leader? Well, it goes into the next requirement. We love other people as we love ourselves. This is what Jesus said. He said, these are the two great commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, again, this flippant idea of, oh yeah, I love my neighbor. I love those who work for me. Sure, no problem. But are we loving them as we love ourselves? Because that's the requirement. So, So we can see that this is much more involved than just saying, oh yeah, love God, love people, you'll be fine. As a leader, we should be treating our uh, fellow employees in the way that we would want to be treated. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And this really flows right out of this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love other people with the same care you have for yourself. And so as a, as a leader, we should be loving our followers. You might not like that word love in the context of work, but having empathy for, having compassion for caring for them in the way that you would want to be cared for. And then we started talking about the four characteristics of, of leadership, kingdom leadership. The two we talked about last week, the first one was leadership equals serving. Uh, 
Leadership equals serving. Every level, every new level of leadership increases our level of service. We don't get promoted. We don't take a new position just so we can kick back and do nothing. We're always looking for opportunities to serve. And then the second one we talked about was this idea of leadership equals influence. Leaders are influencers, good or bad. And we've all had those leaders that influenced us in a bad way. But we want to be leaders who influence our teams, our organizations in a positive way. We want to be influencing them to get better themselves. We want to be influencing them to be the very best version of themselves that they can be. We want to be influencing them so that maybe some of them might become leaders as well. And then today we're going to jump in and we've got two more to talk about. The first one, the first characteristic, this would be number three um, of the four, is leadership equals vision. Leadership equals vision. I've got a good friend who travels around the world. He, he speaks to big churches, but, it, but he's, a, he's a consultant as well. And he, he, he helps these churches uh, develop systems that um, continue to facilitate growth and, and uh, just does an amazing job um, helping people uh, continue to set themselves up for success. But one of the things he t- says when he's talking about leadership is he says, leaders see what others don't. Leaders see what other people don't. How many times as a leader have you seen something, a potential problem, um, a potential disaster looming, um, a problem at some point in the organization, and when you bring it up, you realize nobody else has seen it yet? Well, that's why you're the leader. That's a clue. Because you've got the vision to see what other people don't. So when we're talking about leaders, leadership equaling vision, let's, let's talk about it in a couple of different areas. First of all, leaders see the big picture. They've got the ability to see further down the road. Uh, Departmental leaders should have a vision for their department. Small group leaders in a church should have a vision for their group. Wherever you're at in the organization, you should have a vision for your group and and be able to see the big picture of where you want to go. Um, If you're the CEO, the senior pastor, the president of the company, whatever it is, really seeing the big picture is huge because you should be able to see, um, you know, what's going down the road. Where where are you going to be in a year? Where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? So having that big picture is absolutely vital. Number two, leaders also see the little picture. They know how everything in the church or organization fits together. Now, I've got some friends that are leaders at a high level, and they would say that they don't do this very well. You know, they would say, I don't, I don't do the macro, the, the micro very well because I've got people that I can trust to do that. And I get it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like that myself. But at the same time, um, I think familiarizing yourself with what's going on on the smaller level is really going to help you with your big picture. Now, I'm not saying interfere. Please don't hear me saying micromanage. I'm just saying you know what's going on throughout your organization. You're not going to know everything, but you should have a pretty good idea at what's going on in the different areas of your organization, your church, your ministry, your nonprofit, or your business. You should be able to see the little picture as well as the big. And the people that tend to do this best are those who have grown up in the organization. Um, It's one thing to bring in a leader from the outside 
it's going to take them much longer before they get that bigger uh, picture, which is going to take even longer to get the, 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 the little picture, to be able to see what's going on in the different areas. But people who have grown up in the organization um, are going to have a much better idea of what's happening at lower levels. And this is why in our, in our particular church movement, we very seldom hire pastors, hire leaders from the outside. We typically tend to promote and elevate and raise up leadership from within. And, and that's why the, the, the leaders and pastors in so many of our churches have such a great grasp, not only of the big picture, but also the little picture. Another thing that leaders see is they see talent and ability in other people and know how to draw it out. As I just said, we often promote from within. I'd say the vast majority of the time that we promote from within. And that involves uh, senior leaders and leaders at every level who know how to recognize talent, who know how to give opportunities, who know how to train others, and also draw that talent out of people so that they can find uh, fulfillment themselves leading in the organization. Uh, leaders should be able to, um, uh, over time, they're going to be right more often than they're wrong in, in picking and choosing people for different positions. Look, I get it. We all mess up occasionally, but this is something leaders should be working to develop, that they, they're, they're right many more times than they're wrong. And when they, when they promote people to different positions or elevate people to different positions within the organization. So we're always looking for talent and we want to draw it out of them. And then the, the last thing when we're talking about vision um, and what leaders see is they also see potential problems and know how to steer the organization or the group around them. This has to do with that big picture, but it also draws from the little picture as well. We, we see a little further down the road. Remember, we see what other people don't. So as we're looking further down the road, we see that pothole coming up. We see that speed bump coming up. We see the road ending. Um, we see the road taking a sharp turn, whatever it is, and we're able to steer around it or we're able to put safeguards in place to protect us. Um, this is in the area of finances. Um, if we, we, we keep, you know, we're smart, we're keeping up with what's going on in the news in the area of finances, and we're making sure our money is, is in a safe place. Uh, we're making sure that we've got systems in place to safeguard um, the, the members of our organization. So there's so many different things that go into this, but we're always looking for potential problems where our eyes are always open, and then we, we're looking for ways to steer around them. You know, the first part of accomplishing any vision is we've got to take it from, from essentially the unseen world and, and put it into the natural realm. In other words, you can have a vision for your organization. Where are we going to go? Um, I want to be here in five years. But how do you take that and translate it into the natural? It's one thing to have a great idea. It's one thing to say I've got a vision for our organization. But how do you bring that into the natural realm? And, and, and often this is accomplished by something as simply as writing it down and then sharing it with people. It's one thing to write it down. It's another thing to start talking about it and say, this is where I see us going. You're casting that vision. Arti articulating the vision on paper pulls the dream that's in inside of you, and, and it pulls it into the visible world so that others can capture it in their own heart. So when you write it down and, and you begin to share it with other people, hey, this is where I see us going. I see, I see us doubling our growth in the next five years. I see us having to add an auditorium in the next 10 years. I see us having to find a bigger building in the next three. When you start casting that vision, other people begin to catch it and capture it in their own, in their own um, hearts as well.
And there's a lot of tools that help. Uh, architectural drawings. If, if you're having a building program, which is what our church is going through right now, you can talk about it. Hey, we're going to build a bigger auditorium. Well, that's great. But once people start seeing pictures of it, once they start seeing our architectural drawings and they start seeing the, the 3D videos that have been created to show what it's going to look like as we do a video walkthrough, now people start getting excited. They're catching a vision as well. Um, testimonies of other people who have accomplished similar things is going to help spread that vision. Um, there's so many different ways, but we really do want to um, get into get the, get into the habit of writing our vision down. It's one thing to just say, "Hey, I want to," you know, if you're in a church of of 300, "Hey, I want to be at 500 uh, within a year." It's great to have that in your own heart, but if you're not casting that vision to other people, they're never going to catch it. They're never going to get excited about it. So write it down. A, a friend of mine who's a pastor says this. He says, "Vision is faith." with pictures. Listen to that again. Vision is faith with pictures. In other words, you're, you're, you're bringing it out of your heart. You're bringing it out of your mind. You're writing it down. You're letting people begin to get that picture of this thing in their own hearts and minds. And then we're going to see that vision before. Don't go away. We will be right back. I just wanted to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul and Acts. Now, this was this book was, uh, I started to use the word vision. That sounds a little esoterical and over -spir overly spiritual. I know people who have had actual visions and have written books about it. That's, that's another story for another time. But for me, this book came out of a vision for just writing a book. I thought, you know, I can do this, and 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 it came out of my doctoral studies um, in in New Testament, and you know, I thought, let me let me write a book, let me do a dissertation, and let, let, you know, that that's that's a vision in and of itself. I had a vision for completing that degree, but I also said, you know what, I can write a book, I can do it, and so this book was kind of the fulfillment of that. So this was my first book. I've got a bunch more now, you know, since then. But this was my first one, and, and I'm still so proud of it because it's a great handbook for the book of Acts. It's called Peter and Paul in Acts. And if you love reading the New Testament, if you love the books of the Acts of the Apostles, obviously one of the most exciting books in the New Testament, the first 30 years of, of the church, just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, you've got to get this book, Peter and Paul in Acts. Click on the link. You can read the first bit for free. Um, but check it out. I know you'll love it. It's a great guidebook to have um, beside you as you're reading through the book of Acts. And there's also much, much uh, great material in there about leadership. I'm talking about Peter and Paul and how they did apostolic ministry and all the great stuff that they accomplished in the early church. But these are also leadership principles. So check it out. I know you will love it. All right. Well, the last one, last characteristic, number four, is leadership equals faith. And we just said vision is faith with pictures. Well, let's talk about faith. Leadership equals faith. A person full of faith is confident. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like following a leader who's unsure of themselves. I don't expect them to be perfect, and I don't expect them to know the answer to every question. But if more often than not, they appear to be unsure of themselves and they're not confident in what they're doing, 
that's going to spread that negativity into the rest of the organization. A person full of faith is confident. Not cocky, but confident. Um, people are not going to follow somebody that follows that, that lacks confidence and focuses on the negative. Faith is attractive. Uh, people are drawn to other people, and especially leaders who know where they're going. I'll follow a leader every day of the week who knows where they're going. Even if they're not 100% sure, if, if they're pretty sure and they've got a few runs on the board themselves, in other words, they've got some past success, I'm willing to believe them. I'm willing to give them a shot. I'm willing to go after, go after it with them because they're confident. So, so people are drawn to people who know where they're going. Let me give you a few examples from the Bible. Moses. Moses went to the people of Israel, and he said, Listen, we are going to leave Egypt, and the Pharaoh can't stop us. Well, that didn't work out so well for the first little while because the Pharaoh made things much harder on the, the people as they were serving in servitude and building pyramids and whatever else the Egyptians had them doing. Um, but, but Moses continued to persist in faith, and God used him uh, if you read the story in Exodus, it's a crazy story about bringing different plagues on, Ag on Egypt in an attack um, to get the Pharaoh to change his mind. And eventually the Pharaoh said go, and the people realized Moses had been right all along. We are going to leave, and the Pharaoh can't stop us. Joshua, as they were taking the Promised Land, one of the first and most difficult fortified cities that they came to, one of the biggest ones in, in the area, um, Massive, fortified city for that day. Huge walls, uh, almost impossible to get into. And Joshua said, we are going to take that city. And God gives them some crazy instructions. March around it, march around it, march around it, and eventually uh, march around it seven times and yell and scream and blow the trumpets and let's see what happens. Well, the walls came down. The walls came down. They captured the city. And once again, <clears throat> Once again, the leader was proved right because he said, this is what we're going to do, and God backed him up. David. David was not well known when he killed Goliath. He was a shepherd. Uh, Saul had begun using him just a little bit to play the harp to calm him down. Uh, David's music soothed uh, King Saul, but, but even he had to go back later and ask, who is this young man? Um, but he wasn't well known, and when this great, massive man, this man of war, this giant Goliath, stood up and defied the armies of Israel, everyone was terrified except David. He said, I'm going to kill that giant. And the king told him he was crazy. The other people told him he was crazy. Even his own brothers said, you're crazy. But he had faith because he had scored a few runs before. He had killed a lion. He had killed a bear while he was protecting his sheep. So he had some prior successes. And so that led to faith for him. And he said, I'm going to go kill the giant. And after he did it, now uh, King Saul immediately brought him into the army, made him a captain. Eventually he was a general. And, 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 and a number of years later was the king himself. But it started with him saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then he did it. Jesus told his disciples, he said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And they said, well, it looks like it's about to storm. And he said, no, it'll be fine. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. 
And of course, it did storm. The boat almost swamped, and yet Jesus was asleep, and they woke him up and said, hey, don't you care that we're drowning? He got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and they were on the other side of the boat, on, on the other side of the lake. So leaders who, who, who know where they're going, who are confident, and who, who do what they say they're going to do are creating so much um, uh, positive uh, feelings with their followers. People are going to be looking at them and you're, they're creating trust because they've seen this leader succeed before. Leadership equals faith. And as leaders, listen to what I'm saying, sometimes we have to speak the positive even though you may not always feel it. There are many times as a leader when I might not feel completely positive that we're going to get the outcome that we want, but I'm going to project faith anyway. Uh, Remember, negativity pushes people away. Confidence draws people in. And so if I'm reasonably certain, then I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And if it doesn't work out, you know, what's happened? Have you lost some money? You lost some business deals? You lose some church members? It's not the end of the world. It's going to be fine. But speak the positive even though you may not always feel it. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. This is probably one of the best definitions of faith I've ever heard. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because as a leader, I'm uncomfortable a lot of the time. And because I'm not always sure. Because I'm 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 trying to investigate. I'm trying to get, you know, information to decide which way to make a decision. And I'm I'm never gonna be a hundred percent. I'm never gonna be a hundred percent sure. So learning how to be comfortable being uncomfortable is a great way to go. This is something we should all tr- try and attain because once we get to that point, then nothing can stop us. We're going to be walking in faith on a regular basis. And then for you, I would ask you as a leader, what are you believing for? What are you in faith for on a personal level? Because we can talk about kingdom leadership and how leadership equals faith, and leadership equals vision, and leadership equals influence, and leadership equals serving. Those things are great, but we got to make it personal. What are you doing yourself? Are you living this out yourself? Are you? Is your faith growing in your relationship with God? What are you believing for in your career? What are you believing for on a personal level in your family and your finances? What are you believing for? I encourage you to have goals every year for your purse, for your life, for your family, for yourself. What are you believing God for? Because I can talk about having faith for my organization, but ultimately God wants me to have faith for myself as well. And so we need to, to, this needs to be real in our personal lives before it can become real in our business lives and our ministry lives. Well, I'm going to wrap up there. I'd love to hear from you. What do you think about these important kingdom principles that we've talked about. Are there any others that you might include that relate to leadership? I'd love to know. I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com. Leave me a question or a comment in the comment section for today's post. And while you're there, leave me your your email address. There's a box up at the top that talks about subscribing. Um, I'll never give your email address away, but, but when you give it to me, that means that my blog and my podcast just come right into your inbox when they come out. And um, you won't have to go looking for it. It's easy. Uh, I'll also send you a periodic newsletter to let you know what my wife and I are doing um, in other parts of the world. 
Uh, we're involved in a lot of great projects and, and trying to help a lot of people. And so it's good to keep you informed in that. Good, good to have you on the team. So by all means, go to davidspell.com, check it out. And we will see you next week on Leading